Welcome to the King's Chapel Alaska podcast. From wherever you are listening, we are so excited that you tuned in today. Let's prepare our hearts to hear from God's Word. Amen. You may be comfortably seated behind your wheel if you so like, if you want to. Some people are bringing lawn chairs. You can do that. There's a number of things that we face as human beings, common to being a human being, is you're going to have problems. You're going to have challenges. You're going to have things that oppose you. Nations have things that oppose them. Businesses have things that oppose the business. Being a human being, you're going to have opposition. How many of you know that? You're going to have opposition. Consider it not strange that you face all kinds of fiery trials. There's lack. There's difficulty. But how many of you know that God can vanquish every foe? How many of you know that God is seated in heavenly places far above all rule? How many of you know God has dominion over sickness and disease? How many of you know that one word from God changes everything? He spoke and made the sea. He spoke and made the land. He's, he created you and me by his very hand. He breathed the breath of life into us and made us living beings. That we might live and breathe and move. In him we have our being. God is all-powerful. God is omniscient. God is almighty. God is majestic. God is on the throne. He's got thunder in his footsteps and lightning in his fists. Our God is an awesome God. There's no one like him. Who can compare to him? He alone is able. He makes streams in the desert. He makes a wilderness a pool. Our God is an awesome God. Wow. So the question is, is God with you? Is God with you? And you might just say, oh, yeah, God's with me. I know God's with me. God's with me right now. Are you sure? It's really kind of quite a question, Pastor. Yeah, it's quite a question. It's the, um, it is the most important question. You could ask yourself why you're here in this earth. After that comes the judgment. By the way, if you missed Wednesday, I would highly advise, according to the words of other people that contacted me, I was personally undone by Wednesday's message. And there are times in preaching where I feel, I don't know how to describe it. It's almost like the Lord would, it's almost like the Lord would take me like this glove and put me on and speak. That, that's my experience. I'm not experiencing that at the moment. This is anointed. I feel God's presence. God's power is here. I know that. Whether I feel him or not, I know that's true from Scripture. But there are moments when I just, it's like he takes my, takes my mouth over. Wednesday was like that. You want to watch that with your kids? It's not that long a message. Wednesday night talked about eternal judgments. I think the media team called it um, God's warning label or something like that. Power of God hit me. I had to take a knee or I was going to fall out of the eagle's nest. That's what I call this, the eagle's nest. Back to the text here. Is God with you or not? Because that is the most important thing. Because if God's with you, then you're going to make it. If God's with you, you're going to prosper. 
if God's with you, then, then there is no weapon that's formed against you that shall, it won't work. Oh, it'll be formed. It might even seem like there's an ax being ground over your head, but you will make it if God's with you. If he ain't with you, you're in some serious trouble. Say, well, God's with me. Are you sure he's with you? Are you sure? Because God's not with everyone. Oh, snap. What do you mean God is not with everyone? I said God's not with everyone. Let's look at this text. The Apostle Paul affirmed it in verse 28 that we know that God is for us, and we know that God causes, and we know that God. And we know that God what? God works for good. God is good. The definition of good is God. So he's saying that we know Things about God. You've got to know God is good. You have to settle that. Settle it here and now that God is, is good. And those who love him and those who've been yielded to his call, to his purpose. You see, he's not just good, but he's actually, listen closely, he's actually good to a specific group of people. Listen, this is offensive. He's not good to everybody. Oh, his mercy endures for to generation and generation of those who love him. We know that God works together for good for those that love him, love him. So he's working for good for those that love him. How many of you know he wasn't working everything to good for Adolf Hitler? For those that love him, those who've been yielded to him, it's not everybody that has it work for good. You say, well, it's all good. It's all going to work out. Not necessarily, homie. It's all going to work out. Not necessarily, Bubba. If you love God, it's going to work for good. If you don't love God, it's not going to be good. Those that love him, been yielded to his call. Is that you? Not every situation is good. It says that for those that love him, he'll take every situation and work it for good. And I'm going to tell you, Clover 19. Oh, yeah, I'm mocking that thing. That stupid Clovis spirit. I believe that God's working it for good. I believe that people have been awakened. I believe more people have heard the gospel on the Internet. People have woken up. I believe the church has woken up. My people who are called by my name will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways and pray. God will hear from heaven. He'll forgive our sin and heal our land. I believe this thing's on the way out. Now, I don't know what kind of corruption is involved or the extent of it. I mean, we know that people are involved, so then there's corruption. That's just human nature. They say that the, the, the statistics are way off. Maybe they're off because God's people turned towards God and began to pray. Could it be? The Apostle Paul shares what God's done for us in Romans 8, in this verses prior to verse 28. And it made me think about the Romans road. In fact, the book of Romans is Paul's theological treatise. The book of Romans has caused more revival than any other book of the Bible. Romans. It's Martin Luther who read the book of Romans, Justification by Faith. Wrote the 95 Thesis and nailed it on the, on the church door in Wormberg. Got in big trouble. But he, he couldn't turn away from 
the atrocities of the Catholic Church and this purgatory that they invented. You don't find purgatory in here. There's heaven, there's hell, there's no in-between. And Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom. And yet there was another who went to hell. And the one who went to hell said, please send, send him to dip some water on my tongue. There's a place of death, higher fire, death, fire, brimstone. There's a place of eternal damnation where the worm dieth not. King James. Paul talks about what many have called the Romans road, and I'll just read this to you. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 10 is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 5, 12, therefore, just as one man sin entered the world, death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And then Romans 10, verse 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then in Romans 8, when you read through Romans 8, by the time he gets to verse 28, he's like overwhelmed. In fact, he's so blown away. He says it seven times. What should we say then? Or how then should we live? What should we say then? Considering what God has done. Oh, God, he's like he's overwhelmed when you read Romans. And he says things like, what should we say then? Understand that he's, he probably had to walk away from the parchment for a minute and just like get a hold of himself and like, oh, hey, rakata, hey, what should we say then? We've been made righteous. Don't read this book like it's a, the, the funny pages. Don't read this book like it's some little novel sharper than any two-edged sword. And when Paul says, what should we say then? He, to me, he's trembling on the inside. The awesome reality that we were afar from God, that we were separated from God, that the prophets said they prophesied afar off what one would come, Emmanuel, God with us, Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. God would come, the suffering servant of Isaiah, chapter 53, would come to whoever believed on him. He gave them the right to become children of God. He was blown away at it. Just absolutely undone. He says it seven different times over and over. What should we say then? God's at work and we're overwhelmed. And his response is two, two unanswerable questions that contain truth. And really you need to answer them. If God is for us, who can be against us? Is there anything that bothers you about that verse? There should be something that wakes you up. And it's the big two-letter word, if. 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 It's, it's a, a covenant language. If you do this, then I will do this. If you don't do this, then you don't get the result of doing it. 
If my people, if my, if, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. In other words, if you don't humble yourself and you don't turn away from wickedness, then you ain't getting your sin forgiven and your land's going to stay filled with Clovis. But if my people who are called, if we serve a covenant keeping God. So where it says, when it says, if, if God is for us, who can be against us? In other words, it's not, con it's not unconditional that he's for you. It's conditional. What do you mean? It means you have to follow the conditions to get the result that nothing is against you. And if you don't follow the conditions, you're in trouble. And it's not going to be good. But if he is for you, it's all going to be good. If. And then verse 32. Since he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Think about this. It's amazing. God didn't spare his own son. I mean, he's given everything. Do you think he's going to hold back from you? Say no. No. It's not in his character to do it. Very simply, on this beautiful spring day in Alaska, where yesterday there was no reported COVID-19s, God is speaking to us very simply, to you online, to you on whatever device you're on, those that will listen later in the future. Ask yourself this question. Is God for me? Is God for me? Because he's not for everyone. What do you mean? In the Old Testament, numerous times, numerous scriptures where the, the Lord would say, I am against you, declares the Lord. How many of you know that God was against Israel at times because of their apostasy, because of their idolatry. He wasn't always for Israel. They were sometimes being sent to the woodshed. They were under judgment at times. He would say things like, I'm against Babylon. He, he said he was against Tyre and Sidon. He was against false prophets. He is against false prophets. He's against false teaching. He's against sin. They had a day of remembrance for the Holocaust just last, last week, I believe. He was not for Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler claimed to be a Christian. He did. Claimed to be a Christian, and yet he called Jews useless eaters. There's a German Nazi, Nazism, the ideology of Nazism, would call Jews and those who were unworthy, they called them life not worthy of life. It's a concept, an important component of the ideology of Nazism. How many of you know that that's not biblical? God is for life in the womb. God is for life in all its stages, from conception to old age. We don't believe in euthanasia at all. That's not a Christian idea. 
So is, is God for abortion? Clearly he's not. Oh, you missed a great place to say amen. Because he's not for everybody. He is against some. He is against sin. He is against the devil. He's against idolatry. God is for us. Listen closely. When we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, number one. And then number two, he said, isn't that enough? That's a good start. Number two, not that he's just for us when we receive Jesus, but he's for us when we yield to the working of the Holy Spirit to make us more like him. God is for us when we receive Christ and when we let the Holy Spirit transform us. That's what Romans 8 is all about. God is for us when we love him and we fulfill his calling in our lives. See, there are those that, that get emotional I, you've seen it before. I mean, if you've been alive and served in Christ for any period of time, there's those that get emotional, like, I just, I just love me some Jesus. I just love me some Jesus. You wouldn't know it by their life. You wouldn't know it by their actions, but in their feelings. I just love Jesus. Well, how do you know you love Jesus? Well, think about this for a second. How do you know that you love Jesus? Because you can feel him? That would not be a scriptural answer, although I'm very glad when I do feel his presence. I feel his presence now. Feeling his presence, is that evidence that I love him? No, it's not. It is evidence that he loves you. His evidence that he loves you is all throughout all of creation. It's everywhere. Okay, so define, define your love for God. How would you define that? How would you look at somebody to know whether they love Jesus? You see, because if you don't love Jesus, then it all doesn't work for good. If you don't love God, then it's not going to work out. So we got to solve that problem. How do you know you love God? Well, very simply, John 14 is one of the best ways of reading through John and find out how to love God. John 14, 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Whoa, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. John 14, verse 23, Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them and I will come and make my home with each of them. So how would you say that you love God? You say that you love God, not by lip service, but by your actions. You cannot separate a life that loves God from what you do. If you love Jesus, it's lived out in your life. You cannot separate that. So whether you have goosebumps, goose pimples, chicken skin, whatever you want to call it, you can feel the wind blow. You can have tears running down your face. All in an expression of your love for God. Those are emotions. Emotions come and go. And I'm glad for the holy emotions that I experience with the Lord. I really do. I, I, it's a beautiful thing to be overwhelmed by him. But that is not an expression of my love for him in totality. 
Well, I think it can be part of it. No, your expression, my expression, and my love for God, our love for God, is an obedience to his word. There's no, you cannot separate it. You know what Christian, Christian is as Christian does. Christian means Christ-like. Little Christ. You remember Peter, the pumpkin eater? Do you remember him? Peter, Peter. It's not pumpkin eater. It comes, I have random thoughts that come into my mind sometimes. Peter, do you remember Peter, the one who walked on the water? You remember him? Well, he denied the Lord how many times? Three times. And then they're fishing. They go a-fishing. And Jesus is on the shore making breakfast. He's having some salmon. Probably not. I don't think there's salmon in the Sea of Galilee. Anyway, he's having fish. He's making breakfast. And John says, it's the Lord. Peter jumps off the boat and swims. We don't know which direction he goes, but we can assume that he shows up at breakfast because he's talking to Jesus. What does Jesus say? He says, Peter, do you, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And what does Jesus say? Welcome to goosebumps. No, that's not what he says. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Again, he asked him, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. A third time. And Peter's troubled. And Jesus says, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know all things. He says, feed my sheep. When you love God, the definition scripturally for loving God is obeying his word. It's tied to action. And thank God for holy emotions. Thank God for feeling his presence. Thank God for chicken skin or turkey skin or whatever. Thank God for your hair standing on end. Thank God for the wind of the spirit. Thank God for the fire of the Holy Ghost. Thank God for being overwhelmed by his presence. But all of that plays out in your life in the context of obeying his word. Wow. Our love for Jesus is seen by our actions that we take, not our feelings. Our love for God Say, why is that important? Because it's not going to work for good if you don't love him. Somebody say, it's all good, G. It's all good. It's all good, G. What's up? It's all, it's all good. No, it ain't all good, homie. Not unless you love God. I don't know where that came from. It's like an 80s flashback right there for a second. Our love for Jesus is seen by how we treat people. Our love for Jesus is seen by our obedience. So if we love God, then he's for us. If you don't love God, he ain't for you. Newsflash. Joshua standing before the captain of the host, ready to take Jericho, the first city of the promised land. And Joshua says to the captain of the Lord's army, Lord Sabaoth, he says, are you for us or against us? And many believe it's Jesus in a theophany, a visible manifestation of Jesus in the Old Testament. The captain of the host says, no. So let me, let me take a little liberty here. Joshua says, okay, maybe you didn't hear me. Uh, are you for us or against us? That would mean for us, you're on our side. 
or are you against us? The answer is no. You see, because God doesn't fit in your little categories. God doesn't fit in my little categories. And you don't have God in your pocket. And just because you have a cross around your neck, it doesn't mean that he's for you. Just because you have a Christian fish on the back of your car right now doesn't mean that you that he's for you. It doesn't mean that he's going to work it all for good. You can name the name of Jesus, cast out devils, heal the sick, and prophesy. And in the end, here, get away from me. I never knew you. You who work iniquity, who practice lawlessness. Some bleed through from Wednesday's sermon. Wow. So is God for you? God is not saying we don't have opposition. We clearly have opposition. The devil and his demons oppose us, but he's a defeated devil. If you're walking in obedience and understand the authority that you have by the name and the blood of the lamb, he's defeated. Oh, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, but he's toothless to the one who walks in obedience to the Lord. But he is still in opposition, and the apostle Paul said, I believe it's a church in Thessalonica, we long to come to you, but Satan hindered us. So if Satan could hinder the apostle Paul, don't you think he'd want to try to stop us from moving into our building? Oh, try, try, try as you might, but you're bound and under my feet tonight. Nevertheless, he opposes us. Unbelievers oppose us. I've had that happen recently. Unbelievers. They're, listen, if you're irritated right now, you're like, why do those people didn't mean that parking lot for God's sake? Well, it might be because you're an unbeliever and that's why you're opposing us. Or maybe you just don't believe the way we do. Look how many, look, this place is full of cars. Who would do that? People that are crazy about the Lord. And so there's, there, you're going to get opposition from unbelievers. You're going to get opposition from unbelievers. You're going to get opposition from the world system. Man, that's at work in a big way right now. You're going to get opposition from the world. Consider it not strange, as I quoted earlier. You'll get opposition from your fallen human nature. I had opposition last night. First of all, I'm a beekeeper. Some of you know that, some of you don't. I was installing my bees without any equipment. 45 degrees the other night. The wind blowing. Overcast. For those of you that don't know about beekeeping, that is the worst time to install bees. They hate 45 degrees and they hate the wind. And if you're messing with them right about then, they want to minister to you with their stingers. So as I was installing my second to last hive, I just got worked. 20 something stings, my face is all puffy. My hands are swollen. Amen, I got, I got opposed by bees. However, I have dominion over them, and they're going to work for me and produce lots of honey. Amen. Your fallen human nature will oppose you. Last night, Pastor Karen, you know, somebody gave us some, like, I don't know, sourdough starter from the day of Jesus. 
It's like 1922 sourdough starter from, you know, Colonel Alaska or so. I don't know. I don't know. It's a judge, judge Alaska, someone 1920 something sourdough guy. And I don't know if that like, that's sort of sick in a way, but it's also sort of awesome. So we have the sourdough starter and we're been, you know, I, I lost a bunch of weight years ago by not eating carbs and eating special way. And I was glad I lost 70 pounds and, and, um, yeah, one of the ways of doing that is not eating carbs. So when the sourdough thing showed up, I had a recollection of sourdough pancakes, how amazing they were. Pastor Karen looked up the recipe. We felt led of the Lord to have a few of those. It's only about 50 calories, 50 carbs per little pancake. Of course, after you eat 10 of them, I don't know what the math is on that, but uh, it's a lot more carbs than I'm used to. And uh, so... That was great. We survived that. But last night, she decided to make some special sourdough bread. When that came out of the oven, I thought I was getting led by the Lord, but really it was my flesh. And I sort of came to after half the loaf was gone and about a half a pound of butter. Because I just take large sections of butter and just put it on there hot. I'm mauling that thing. I was like, oh, the bread that comes down. Oh, oh, the bread that comes down from heaven. Hallelujah. Hey, I mean, I was just getting touched by the Lord eating these things. Till Hannah came home. And she said, Dad, you going to have any bread? I said, no, no, I had some. She says, yeah, until about 45 minutes from now, I bet you're going to finish it. I thought, oh, I think I'm convicted. And it sort of woke me out of my stupor of my flesh. Your fallen human nature will try to get the best of you. It's, it'll, you've got to oppose your fallen human nature. The fallen world. I think COVID-19 is a product of the fall, wet markets, and I don't know, probably communists too. I don't understand all of it. I just know that I'm going to walk with the Lord. And if God is for me, then he's going to work all things together for good. Because he has called me, and I have yielded to his purpose. So let me ask you this question. Have you? Have you given your life to Christ? Are you serving him? Are you loving him? By the way, that's worked out not in chicken skin and wind of the spirit, but through obedience and through yielding to his working in your life, the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. God is saying if, if God's with us and we can overcome all opposition... What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of anything? I am not. And there are times when, when I have to just center myself and just go, no, no, wait a second. God who gave his only son, how much more will he give us all things? God is for us. Who can be against us? The question is, do you love him? Are you serving him? Are you yielded to his plan? Don't give in to fear. If God's with you, you're going to make it. 
If God's with you, you can overcome financially, emotionally, physically. If God's with you, you can overcome. He's going to work it for good. Come on, someone say he's going to work it for good. He's going to work it for good. We had a, a dear friend, and I'll, I'll close. Worship team, would you come? We had a dear friend uh, years ago who got cancer. Lynn Michelier was her name. And she fought it and got all the medical treatments, and we prayed. And I remember her sharing a, a vision she had. In actual fact, what happened was I was in a staff meeting. I think you were there, Pastor Kirsten. You might remember this. And uh, we went to her house in Haiku. We all stood around. I think we, I don't know if we all made it into that one little room at the same time. I can't remember exactly. But during that, that trial, she had shared that she had this dream, this vi- I don't know if it's a dream or vision. She was standing before this mountain that was so enormous that there was no way for her to get over the top of it. And she knew she had to get over the top, but there was no way in the natural for her to do it. And so in the dream, as she's there in despair, in pain, looking at this mountain of opposition, an eagle came came down and swooped her up gently and flew her higher and higher and higher and higher. And she looked down, couldn't even see the mountain anymore. And the Lord spoke to her and said, how does the mountain look now? She went on to glory. She, she passed away. That story stayed with me. Because it's a, it's a reminder to me. It's a reminder to us that when you face opposition, when you face these challenges of the world and the flesh and the devil, when you face these things, get God's perspective. Stop everything and say, wait a second. God is for me because I live for him and I love him. And he works everything for good. And God, who did not spare his one and only son, he will graciously give us all things. So what a mountain, oh mountain, who are you before Zerubbabel? (laughs) You shall become a level plane. The capstone will be set with shouts of grace, grace to it. Clovis, oh Clovis. You're defeated even now. If God be for us, who can be against us? And the reason that God is for you, please, it's not because you're an American. God's not for you if you're an American. Please don't misunderstand me. He's for you if you love him. Said, is God for America? God's for America so long as we're for him. The second you throw God out of the public square, 
and start authorizing the death of babies, the same-sex marriage. There's a lot of wonderful things that have happened with our coming alongside of Israel. That's smart. There's a lot of wonderful things that are taking place. But America is hanging in the balance between a goat nation and a sheep nation. How it'll be is, to, is going to be determined, I believe, by the body of Christ, by the church of the living God, his people called by, their na- by his name. If we turn and we hunger and thirst, God will intervene in our nation. And I believe that's happened with COVID-19. I believe it's already happened. We need to get back to work now. So we need to get back to work. Lord, I pray for our president. I pray for those in authority that you, God, would speak to them to lead our nation. We break off fear. God, give us your perspective. Give them your perspective on this. Even the nations of the world. Seeing things from God's perspective and God's power changes everything. Let me read this to you and we'll be concluded. Matthew 6, verse 25. As I placed this in my notes this morning, I wept over reading it. It's just so moving to me. Matthew 6 and 25, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more than food and your body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you of you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. I keep hearing the amplified version in my spirit. But seek first the king, his kingdom and his righteousness, his way of being and doing right. And all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. If God be for us, who can be against us? Come on, say that. If God is for me, then who can be against me? Now, if you've never given your heart to Jesus, do it now. Do it now. Online, 1610 a.m., all across this parking lot. Those listening online, 
give your life to Jesus. You say, that's me, Pastor, good. Do it now. Repeat this prayer after me. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die in my place, to rise again from the grave for me. Forgive me of all of my sin and come into my heart. Wash me, cleanse me, make me new. Thank you for hearing my prayer. And thank you for loving me. Amen. Let me pray for you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate and touch every heart, baptizing them now with your precious Holy Spirit, the evidence of speaking in tongues. Let your fire come upon every man, every family, every child. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Let me conclude by reading these final verses of Romans 8. What should we say then, verse 31, about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare, even his only son gave him up for us all. Won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession for us. Verse 35. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we're killed every day and we're being slaughtered like sheep. No, no, despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from the God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries for tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Come on, give them praise in the house of God. Thank you. Glory. Hallelujah. Let me close in blessing. We do have teams that are going to be praying for people. If you need to get out of the parking lot a little faster, you can head around the backside and head out. We love you. Don't miss tonight. Second clock, Ivan Tate preaching to us. It's not a canned message. It's a message he has for, for Kings Wasilla right here, Kings Alaska. We love you online. We love you right here. Thank you for turning out. Let me bless you. Father, thank you. Thank you that you're working all things together for the good because we love you and you're a good God and you're for us and nothing can separate us from your plan. 
I pray the blessing of God upon your people. Lift up your countenance towards us. Be gracious to us. Keep us and give us peace in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock. Praise the Lord. Thank you for joining today's podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, you can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one.